Hello, hello. Welcome to church. Um, yeah, excited to do communion today, so we'll uh, be doing that after the message. But I want to start off by uh, opening up in prayer with all of you and ask that you pray for a couple things. One is our team, our Baja Bill team is still in Mexico, uh, building a house for the Diaz family. So let's pray that God continues to bless that work there. And then secondly, let's pray for Israel. Um, if you haven't heard, war has broken out. And so uh, let's just pray that God would reign over the entire situation. Okay. So let's come before the Lord and let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we, we just want to stop and turn our eyes to heaven and recognize that, God, you are the God who sits on the throne. God, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and all things are in your hands. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are in Madero, uh, Mexico, just building a house for the Diaz family. Thank you so much for sending them so that they could be your hands to build that house. We pray that they would also represent your heart. Uh, your heart to see that community transformed by the gospel of Christ. So we pray that they would uh, see wins over there, that they would see people find and or follow Jesus Christ. So please bless them, Lord. And we pray for just what's going on in the world. We thank you for the fact that you reign over this world. And we pray for your people. We pray for uh, the, the war that's broken out between um, Israel and Hamas. And Lord, we, we uh, have a lot of questions. I know some of us are really thinking, is this it? Is this the end? And Lord, we just pray that above all else, we look up and see you sitting on the throne. We pray that we would live with urgency and that we would really surrender our hearts to you. Help us to live now. And Lord, as we get into your word right now, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to your church. Help us to be faithful to the task you've called us to for the reason you've put us here on this earth. And so speak to us through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We will be saying more about the situation as um, things unfold. Okay, so look forward to that. I want to start off today by uh, talking about the world championships, track world champions, the IAAF world champions where many teams came together for this event and all of them were chasing the gold. They were chasing the gold in the relay race. I wanna show you what happened to Team China as they competed in this world championship race. Check this out. The second leg down the back straight, a real head-to-head -head between Shelly and Fraser Price. Oh, real shame, just seeing pictures here, the Chinese having all sorts of problems. Oh, they're just uh, showing why their race unfolded. That is so tragic. My people, right? Team China, come on. If you're gonna chase the gold, you have to pass the baton. You have to pass the baton. It doesn't matter how fast you run your race. It doesn't matter how fast of a runner you are. If you fail to pass the baton successfully, you will miss out on the win. These runners on Team China are some of the fastest runners in the world. And yet because they couldn't pass the baton, they got disqualified and they missed out on winning the gold. They missed out on the win. 
Today is our final message in our series, Chasing After the Wind, W-I-N. We've been in this for four weeks now, and today it's all about passing the baton. It's the baton pass. And in this series, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, we've been talking about what are the real wins, like what are true wins in God's eyes? And we've boiled it down to two real clear wins. I hope this has been clear because we've been talking about it over and over, looking at it at different angles. But if, if you need a reminder, I'm going to put it up for you. But the two wins we've identified are when we help people reproduce and multiply God's gifts and when we help people find and follow Jesus Christ. And a, and a lot of times these two are related. They're connected. When you reproduce and multiply, you will help people find and follow Jesus and vice versa. And so they're very much connected. And what I want to do today is show you just one more way how when we reproduce and multiply what God has given us, namely the ministries and roles he's given us, then we can help more people find and follow Jesus. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you have your apps, you could turn there. Uh, But 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to start off today. And you might have heard, like in the Bible, multiple occasions, it refers to the Christian life and the Christian ministry as a race. Paul talks about it as being like a race a lot of times. And maybe you've heard the saying, life is not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I want to suggest today that the Christian life and Christian ministry isn't just a marathon, but it's a relay. It's a relay race, okay? Let me show you what I'm talking about. So 2 Timothy is a letter that Paul, the apostle, writes to this young pastor named Timothy. And here's what he says in verses 1 through 2. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Hold on to that. We're going to come right back to this passage. But, you know, when I was in high school, uh, by the way, have I mentioned that I went to West High? Yeah? Did I say it's the best high? Okay, good. Just want to make sure that's clear. But uh, when I was at West High, we had PE class, and one of the events that they taught us how to do is the four-man relay race. So they actually taught us how to run relay, and they told us that the key to winning is the baton pass. So I want to show you what I learned when I was in high school. I'm going to bring out Todd, our youth director, to help demonstrate the baton pass. Welcome up, Todd. He's our youth director. He's doing a great job. But imagine we're on the same team, and I start off, I got the baton. And as I'm running as hard as I can, I'm running, and he's watching me. He's got his eyes on me, right? And so I'm running, and then there comes a point where I reach what they call the acceleration zone. And in the acceleration zone, I'm running with the baton, and now he's running with me. We're running a sequel. Let's get on the scene. Yeah, there we go. Look at that. Look at that. And then I still got the baton, but he's running with me. Then we get to the zone called the exchange zone. And that's where I pass the baton. And when I pass the baton, it's not like I hit the brakes, all right, peace out, and I go back to the locker room. No, when he's running with the baton, I'm running with him now. There's a period where I'm running with him, and then it gets to a point where I'll stop, and he'll continue running off with the baton, and I'm watching from a distance. I'm cheering him, go, Todd, go, run, Todd, run. Yeah, good job. 
I guess he's going to keep on running. All right. I kind of need that baton back, but that's all right. Um, but that's how the, you run a relay. And if I were to summarize it for you, I'd summarize it very easily in four stages like this. I'd say, I run, you watch. And then I run, you run with me. I pass the baton to you, and then you run, I'm running with you. And then finally, you run, and I'm watching, and I'm cheering you on from a distance. Go, Todd, go, Todd, run, Todd. And that's how you pass the baton. In the book of 2 Timothy, God has given the Apostle Paul a baton. It's the ministry of teaching God's word. And he has a vision because he knows that his life in the book of 2 Timothy is coming to an end. He's about to get executed because of his faith, and, and he knows that. But he has a vision to see the ministry of God's word reproduced and multiplied. So let me show you again. I don't know if you noticed the relay race in Paul's mind, but go back to verse 2 that we just read. I want to point it out for you. I'll highlight it for you. But he said this, Timothy, what you have heard from me, in other words, what you have received from me in the presence of many witnesses, now entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you notice the four-part relay right there? Paul taught Timothy the word. Timothy, now you teach it to faithful men, and those faithful men will now teach others also. And so there's this baton pass, this reproduction, multiplying of the ministry of God's word. And notice, it's multiplying. Because Paul passes on to one man, Timothy, but Timothy is to pass it to who? Faithful men, plural. And those teachers are now to pass also on to many others. And so as it's going from generation to generation, they're reaching more and more people. It's reproducing and it is multiplying. The vision of this series and the church is really to help every follower of Christ, every one of you to see that you have a role to play in the Great Commission, which is the mission of our church. You have a role to play. Namely, I want to say that every one of you has a role on this relay team. You have a role in the relay and when we reproduce what God has given us, not just our faith, but also the ministry and the roles he's given us, what we do is we contribute to helping people ultimately find and follow Jesus. So you may be somewhere in this relay, and I hope you see where you're at. Maybe you're like, like Paul, and you're looking for someone to pass the ministry on to you're looking for someone to, to train up. Or maybe you're like Timothy and you're waiting to receive the baton. You're looking for how you could serve, how you can get involved somewhere. Whether you're a giver or a receiver, you should be seen as part of the relay team. As a follower of Christ, we have a, a, a plan together, a, a goal I pray that as part of the same team, we would chase after the win. Not the wind, but the win. That we would pursue the goal. Not just the gold, but the goal. That we would carry out faithfully the great commission. And so, 
We saw how you passed the baton. I'll put it up for you one more time. And maybe you've seen this before in like uh, team building exercises or uh, business context. I run, you watch, stage one. I run, you run with me. You run, I run with you. You run, I watch. But I want to show you that this is the model of discipleship that Jesus modeled for us. Jesus came up with this. And I'll show you how he taught us how to pass the ministry in discipleship where I do, you watch. I do, you help me. And then you do, I'll help you. Then you do, I'll watch. And I'll cheer and support you as you go about carrying that baton, okay? I want to show you how that looks. Jesus modeled this for us in the Gospels. But I also want to show you how it should happen also and is happening in the church. So in order to do so, I'm going to walk you through these four stages, but I want to bring out Lauren Comas, who is our worship uh, director. So would you help me welcome out our worship director, Lauren Comas, to the stage? <laughs> Lauren uh, is doing an amazing job, and I could have brought up so many different leaders to the stage because so many leaders are doing this well, um, but, but you see her often. I'd love for you to hear from her uh, because I've seen her model this with the worship ministry. So this is Lauren, and let's talk them through each stage. Okay, so let's start with stage one. If you're taking notes, stage one is, once again, say it with me. I do, you watch. I do, you watch. Okay? Let's start with Jesus. It's always the best place to start. Okay, start with Jesus. Did you know that Jesus, believe it or not, there's a period of time when Jesus was discipleless. He was doing ministry on his own, preaching and healing people on his own. Now, if God so loved the world, how in the world is Jesus going to reach the entire world on his own? Well, I don't know if he intended to. First four chapters of the book of Luke, he's doing this all by himself. And then in Luke chapter 5, there's this big crowd that comes to listen to Jesus teach. And there's, they're, they're by the lake, and there's so many that he gets into a boat so he can preach from the boat, so he can actually speak to all people. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 5, verse 3. So he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Simon Peter, we call him Peter, and asked him to put a little distance, put out a little distance from the land. And he sat down and he continued teaching the crowds from the boat. So what happens? So Jesus finds this boat, he climbs into it. It happens to belong to this guy named Peter, Simon Peter. Um, there's no formal relationship yet with Peter, and yet from the boat, Jesus preaches to the people, and Peter is close enough where he can just watch and listen and observe, watching Jesus do what Jesus does. So he's sitting there watching Jesus in the boat, and then after Jesus finishes preaching, Jesus does something that really grabs Peter's attention. It really reels Peter in, this fisherman, and not just Peter, but other fishermen too, like James and John. What does Jesus do at that point? Well, we get to verse 4 of Luke 5. It says, Now when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Simon responded and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and we've caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to tear. Jesus, we've been working all night long. There's no fish in the sea. There's no fish at all. We're not catching anything. We're getting skunked. Jesus, just put it right there. 
They put it there, and the, the fish are overwhelming that it's tearing their nets. And so Peter, James, and John are just amazed. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? And they realize at that point that Jesus may be someone worth following. He might be someone worth following that he's not just a fisherman, but they also see he's a fisher of men. He doesn't just know how to catch fish, but they're seeing that he's also capturing people's hearts. And so they think, maybe this is a guy we should pay attention to. So that's stage one. Jesus does, and they're watching, they're observing. Now, Lauren, um, you're on this stage a lot with the worship team, and every week we're here in, uh, in the seas, and we're observing, we're watching you lead us, right? So what do you hope happens um, as we're watching you? Yeah, well, church, what you really see up here as our worship team is leading is just, honestly, just a natural extension of our personal worship that is happening in private. It's our worship to Jesus, our love for him, and our, our devotion for him just now made public. You know, we realize that we cannot lead you in worship further than we've gone ourselves. So whether that is um, looking like us lifting our hands or kneeling or even just being moved to tears when we're worshiping Jesus, um, you can trust that that is happening even more so offstage than it is on the platform. And our hope in that is that um, as you see us just genuinely worshiping Jesus, it extends the invitation and gives you permission to also worship Jesus just authentically as yourself, as you feel led. Awesome. I, I love that you guys get to hear that because a lot of times they could come off as performers, and you wonder where their heart is at. And so she's hoping that as we're watching, as she does, we would see the, a real heart of worship and an extension of their private worship life. So um, that's stage one. You do, we watch, okay? Or in the first-person perspective, I do, you watch. Stage two now is I do, you help. Okay, so there's this invitation. So let's go back to Jesus. Luke chapter 5, we're still there. And... Uh, the disciples just watch Jesus preach to the people and catch all this crazy fish. They're amazed, amazed. So it goes on in verse 9. says, for amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish that they had taken. And likewise, also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching people. Have you ever heard of the phrase fishers of men? This is where it comes from. You will be catching people. Now, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. And so here's an invitation. Come, follow me. In essence, Jesus is saying, I'll do you help. Come and help me. Sure, Jesus could catch fish. They're amazed by that. But he's going to show them that his main ministry on earth was to capture people's hearts for eternity. That's what he's really about. And so he invites them into this discipleship relationship. Remember last week, we learned that a disciple is one who follows. Or as Pastor Dan taught us, is one who learns. And so he invites them to come learn with me and help me as I fish for men and women. Okay? So... What does stage two look like in the worship ministry? I know not everyone can be or should be on the worship team. Um, a lot shouldn't be. Uh, but when, when you invite someone to come to join worship ministry and help you, what does that look like? Yeah, I imagine um, even for the disciples as well, this is the stage that can be 
um, equally very exciting, but also very intimidating. You know, you're starting to really see um, behind the curtain of what it takes um, to create an environment that is conducive of the type of worship that we offer here at the church. So, you know, you have to get used to our, you know, in-ear monitors. We play with a metronome. Um, you know, the lights up here are pretty bright, and you got you got to give up your entire weekend to serve for all three services. Um, so, not necessarily glamorous at your as you're helping, but it's necessary. And I think the real temptation here is that as um, you're helping, I think an insecurity can set in, um, and there's a temptation to start to perform um, or to try to prove yourself. And so I just love to remind my team, it's not at all about how perfect you can be before God, but it is all about just how you make yourself available for the Lord to use you to exalt himself as he desires. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate all our servants, because on uh, the surface, it looks like so easy, so polished, but when you get closer and start getting involved, you actually realize how committed, how disciplined, how gifted, how spirit-filled um, a lot of our servants are, and you realize this is hard, this is very challenging, and it is nitty-gritty. There's a lot of challenges and struggles that come with it. And so the closer you get to start helping, you're going to see and appreciate how the Lord is moving uh, through many of, of his servants. And so that's stage two. I do, you help. Then we get to stage three. That's where you pass the baton. And now you do, and I'll help. Okay. So going back to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, Jesus had invited these disciples to come and help him. And all this time, they're going with Jesus. They're watching him preach with power and authority. They're watching him cure diseases and cast out demons. It's all Jesus. We're just coming along for the ride. We're watching you. And then there comes this pivotal moment where Jesus now hands the baton to them. Imagine how crazy this must be when Jesus gives you the ministry. Luke chapter 9, verse 1 to 2, says, Now he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and the power to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. We go to verse 6. And as they were leaving, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I don't want us to gloss over this too quickly. It's not like, oh, okay, now they get to preach and they get to cast out demons. Think about These are ordinary, unschooled, uneducated men. Imagine Jesus saying, now you go preach the kingdom. What if I said, Byron, next week, can you preach the word of God? Can you come here and, and preach to, most people would be freaking out. Like, do not make me do that. And I've seen that. We've asked people to come up and read scripture, and people get so nervous. I don't know if I could stand up and, and just read this passage. It's terrifying. And so Jesus is saying, you go now, you preach the kingdom, you cast out demons. Oh, sure, cast out demons. No, it's not like that. Like, what are you, Jesus, this is your thing. And yet he trusts them. He says, no, you, you do it, I'll, I'll help. And so they go out, and the beautiful thing is Jesus doesn't ditch them. He's still with them there on earth. And in fact, they go out and they come back, and Jesus is still there, and they debrief with Jesus. So look at verse 10, same chapter, Luke 9. It says, when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all they had done. And taking them with him, he withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. 
And so they come back and they, they retreat. They go on a retreat and they, you can be sure they're debriefing. Like what went well? What went wrong? What worked? What didn't? And I, I, I can almost guarantee you that Jesus is teaching them further and taking them deeper in their discipleship. I'll show you why I believe that in just a moment. But Lauren, you've experienced that. Stage three, what's it like when now you empower people and you pass a baton and you say, you do it and, and I'll help? What does that look like? Yeah, this is the stage where I really start to see in um, certain leaders that God is forming and producing something just really deep inside of them. And um, as a leader, it's my responsibility to name that, to call it forth, and to help cultivate it. So this is the stage where I really begin to ask our leaders to start singing songs or um, share a scripture that's on your heart or speak an exhortation between songs or during the instrumental of a song or to say a prayer. And I notice that a lot of times in this stage, what can happen is mistakes. And I personally am, am totally okay with that. I would much rather you be obedient to something that the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart to do um, than to not do it at all. So um, whether that goes well or whether it doesn't, if it does go well, I'd love to just celebrate you and, and celebrate why that did well. And if it doesn't, um, I just love offering my, my time and space to um, process and say, hey, why didn't that go well? And practically, what can we do the next time or the next service? But either way, I just love to pray for them and remind Remind them just not to be discouraged and just to get up and try again. I, I love um, how Lauren models this. I've watched her trust and also lead, help lead from, um, from, from the back. So there, there's weeks when Lauren's not leading and she's trusting um, other leaders on the team to lead. And I'll see her sitting back here worshiping. And I know she's still watching to see uh, how they're doing, what they're doing. There's one particular week. Um, where I felt the worship set at the end, um, it, it, yeah, it just wasn't right. Like, we, we care about the flow out of the worship, and the song coming out was just too hard-hitting and didn't allow people to reflect. And I was like, oh, I should say something. And before I could even say something, Lauren, from the back, was on it. She had the whole team change it for the Sunday morning service, and uh, they switched the songs around, and I thought it was beautifully done. And that's her leadership as they, she trusted them to lead, but she was watching and helping uh, where she could. And that's the reality. I, I love what you shared, that we're going to make mistakes. That's okay. I'm here to help you. The disciples in Mark chapter 9, they go out to cast demons because Jesus said, you do it and I'll help. And in Mark chapter 9, there's a kid with a demon and they're trying to cast the demon out and they couldn't do it. They failed. And so Jesus, who is still there, steps in to help. And so Jesus heals the boy. He casts out the demon. And then in private, Mark chapter 9 says, the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do it? And then he took that opportunity to help them, teach them further. And he says, this kind only comes out with prayer. And that seems obvious to us, but these guys have never done it before. Oh, you have to pray? And so they're learning, and Jesus is teaching them, yeah, you got to pray when you want to cast out this kind of demonic oppression. And so Jesus is there to teach and to help. And so at this point in their discipleship with the 12, Jesus is saying, you do it. I'll help. Okay. Now we get to stage four. You do, I watch. You do, I watch. Lauren, uh, what's it like when you see people walking with you in worship and they're ready to lead? What happens at that point? 
Yeah, well, something actually I just thought of is that one, the, um, the square naturally just starts to um, begin again. So there's um, Adam, our leader that I was leading with today. Um, I know, for example, he's actually bringing guys alongside of him to raise them up as leaders. And I have no part of that, which I think is amazing. Um, but, you know, it's really when I can begin to entrust um, leaders to lead weekends, to lead um, different events. You know, for example, I'm not going to be at the well worshiping at all this month, but I trust that my leaders will be um, leading you in, in spirit-filled, heartfelt, genuine worship. And I can trust that they are thinking of the, the nitty-gritty details it takes to really put on our services. Um, I can trust that they know how to partner well with our incredible tech team, and I can trust that they're thinking of you, church, and um, just really how um, to keep you in mind as they're crafting, crafting uh, different worship sets. So um, I, like you said earlier, it is just so special. Um, I'm going to get emotional. When um, your leaders lead you, um, it's just really beautiful to see someone that went from being just very timid up here and, and nervous and scared to now leading in the power and the authority that Christ has given them. It is, it's truly a joy and an honor. I love it. I love that Lauren actually can take weeks off and rest, and she's sitting there, and I know she's watching, but as time goes on, it goes from I'm more watching to I'm more worshiping, and I'm able to worship under the leadership of those I have been passing the baton to, and they're now leading her um, into deeper relationship with Christ, so I love that. Um, it, starts, it starts with I do, you watch. I do, you help. Then the baton gets passed, you do, I help. And Jesus had done this with the disciples for uh, three years. And they were now able to take the ministry of Jesus from Jesus. And now they were ready to go and bring healing and salvation to the nations. Jesus has been investing in these guys, uneducated, ordinary guys, uh, for three years and he had been training them up intentionally and properly and effectively. And then we come full circle, right? The end of the gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. They're ready now. And what does he say? And I love this charge. I wonder if you're familiar with this, this verse. Matthew 28, 19, he says, Now, therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them. You disciple them now. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and, this is important, surely I am with you always until the end of the age, to the very end of the age. You see this model of discipleship at the beginning. Luke chapter 5, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now come with me, help me as I fish for men. And then now you go, I'm going to help you fish for men, and now you're ready. Now therefore go, be fishers of men to all the nations, and surely I am with you always. I love that line. Why? Because he's saying, you, you go, you do, and I'll be watching you. I'll be cheering you on. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be empowering you from my Father's right hand. I trust you so much that I can go because you got this. I'm with you. That's the model of discipleship that we see in Jesus. That's the model we're seeing here in this church. 
Um, so thank you, Lauren, for sharing that. Would you help me thank her for leading our church in worship and for leading our, our team to grow in leadership? Praise the Lord. All right, so that's what it looks like to pass the baton. Um, in the context of a leader handing it down to a leader. Look, I found another one. Look, so it's like, it's like a leader handing a baton down to a future leader. But discipleship and reproducing your role doesn't always have to be this vertical top-down leader to successor thing. I want to show you that reproducing your role can also be horizontal, passing the baton to a fellow servant. Because not all of us are leaders yet. But many of us are servants, so let me show you what that looks like. For a long time, we've been um, trying to raise up more KISS crew volunteers and help. If you've been here for quite a while, we're always announcing it in announcements. You're hearing the pastors talk about it from the pulpit. We're just trying to get more help because our KISS crew ministry is huge. It's blown up. And so we need help in KISS crew. Problem, and we would love, our goal was to open up KISS crew on Saturday our 5 p.m. service, but the reality is we just don't have enough kids crew servants. We still, at this point, uh, need 18 servants to open up Saturday kids crew, nine for preschool, nine for elementary. And so we've tried to announce it from the stage. I've tried to announce it, and our efforts have fallen short. Why? Because we're still in need. We have 234 kids crew servants, and that's still not enough because uh, a lot of them, uh, a lot of you, a lot of you wear the blue shirts, I can only serve once a month, so we, we, we need a lot more. Now, Mandy Ogamori has been running the kids' crew ministry, and she has been running hard, and she's been doing an amazing job with it. Can we honor Mandy as well and just thank the Lord for her leadership and her team, because she has an amazing team, uh, but they're doing such a good kid uh, job with all our kids. But um, Mandy reminded me this past week that Lillian Yoshimura, I don't know if you're here, Lillian, but she was the one running Kids Crew before Mandy, and she's the one who passed the baton on to Mandy. And Mandy reminded me that Lillian actually used to use the same language to encourage the Kids Crew servants as we talked about last week. And last week, we, we said, each one reach one. Remember that? Each one reach one. And that's in the context of sharing your faith, evangelism. But she would use this phrase, each one reach one, in encouraging all the kids crew volunteers to consider who is one person you could invite in to consider serving in kids crew and run with you in this. So instead of the pastors trying to solicit, get, get help from the stage, what if each one of you consider your circle of friends, your network, or your life group, and somebody who may not be serving who can you encourage to come check it out? Come Here, come check it out and see if this is a ministry you could serve in. And that means if 234 of our kids' crew servants all thought about one person they can bring and pass the baton to and invite into serving into kids' crew, we could have 468 kids' crew volunteers. That would fill all our needs for Sunday morning, 9 and 11. That would definitely help us be able to open up Saturday night service kids' crew which may open up more seats for people on Sunday to hear the word of God, which may help a family that can't come to church on Sunday come on Saturday. And in all of that, we're working together to hopefully help people find and follow Jesus Christ. That's a win. That's a win. And so 
I want to encourage you, each one, reach one. You should have a name of one that you could reach for evangelism, but also each one reach one. If you're serving in any ministry, whether it's kids crew or another ministry, who is one person who may not be serving yet that you could invite in and potentially start running with you in that ministry? Maybe you're serving in hospitality or homeless ministry. Maybe you're serving in security or servant's heart. Maybe you're serving in the nursery or next steps. Who's somebody you can invite, especially if they're not serving yet, that perhaps this could be a ministry for them. I was just thinking about this. This is not in my notes, but do you know how I became a pastor? Sharon Lee, who was our missions director, she, she since got married and has moved to San Diego, but she was going to go to seminary at Talbot, and so she went to an info night. And she says, hey, Greg, I'm going to an info night. You want to come? You want to come check it out? And I had no intention of going into ministry whatsoever, no intention of going to seminary. But she invited me, just gave me a nudge. I said, sure, I'll check it out. That night, I enrolled at Talbot Seminary. I got accepted. God knows how. You know, like, I got accepted. I started going to seminary. I fell in love with the Word of God. And now I'm a pastor. And it took someone saying, hey, why don't you check this out? And so who is someone that you can reach out to and say, hey, come check this out. And now, now I want to say just a disclaimer, just, um, just to be careful that when you invite somebody, make sure your ministry leader is on board, okay? Because I know that a lot of ministry leaders have worked hard to create a process for onboarding new servants. So make sure you talk with them and ask, How's, what's the most appropriate way to help my friend join this ministry? For example, for kids crew, Mandy has set up these things that they call volunteers, First and third Sundays at 11 a.m., if you're interested in serving kids' crew, you take a volunteer, and they'll walk you through and give you a tour of the kids' crew classrooms, what it's like. They'll answer your questions, and they'll give you the lowdown on what it's like to serving kids' crew. Okay? So check with the ministry leader and ask, how, what's the best way to get people involved and get them running with us in this, in this ministry? All right, so... We've talked about reproducing our roles in ministries. How can that happen when leaders pass the baton down to future leaders? We've talked about reproducing our roles in ministry when servants pass the baton this way and encourage other servants to serve. Lastly, I want to show you one more way I believe we can reproduce um, and multiply as a church. And that's when churches multiply and reproduce new churches. When churches multiply and reproduce new churches. As your pastors, we are praying about how we can reproduce South Bay Community Church in other areas beyond Torrance, California. I pray, I really pray that we become one of the fastest shrinking churches in town. I pray that we shrink. I pray that we grow by shrinking. What do I mean by that? Well, I would love it for it to be a thing here where we're sending out a bunch of you, 100, 150 of you at a time to this community, and then send 100, 150 of you out to, to that neighborhood where people are still unchurched or don't know Jesus yet. I'd love for that to be the reason why we shrink, because people are going out and they get the mission. We're developing a missional mindset. I love for us to be serious about the Great Commission. And if we're serious about the Great Commission, then we're going to understand it's not going to be sitting here and expecting that the lost and the unchurched will come to us. They might, 
But if we get the Great Commission, it's going to be us committed to going to them. Jesus didn't say, stay put, therefore, stay here, and if you build it, they will come. That's Kevin Costner. Jesus said, no, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go. Now, many of you come from communities, neighborhoods like from Palos Verdes and Rolling Hills. Many of you guys come from Alhambra and Monterey Park in the SGV. Some of you guys come from the west side. I met, uh, I was in Orange County this past week, met a handful of people who said, we go to South Bay Community Church. They drive from Orange County to come to church here. And I love that. I love that. Why? Because that shows how much you love to worship Jesus. You love Jesus. You love learning about Jesus. And so you'll make that 20-minute drive, that 30-minute drive, sometimes 60-minute drive because you love Jesus. And I praise God for that. But I'm willing to bet that in your communities, you have teammates and neighbors and coworkers and family and friends in your community who may not drive 20 minutes to church or 40 minutes or 60 minutes to this church like you do. Why? Because chances are they don't even know Jesus. And so how could they even love Jesus? So why should they drive that drive to worship and learn about someone they don't know or love? But what if we can bring Jesus to them? What if we can bring Jesus to them? And what if we can go into your community and your neighborhood and we can start a church, an SBCC campus or church? Because though they may not drive 35 minutes to worship your Jesus, maybe they'll go five minutes. And so what if we can go to them to help them find and follow Jesus? That would be a win. Now, I know that a lot of you are probably wondering, well, if there are many churches in my neighborhood already, and there are churches in our community, why does South Bay Community Church have to plant a church there? Is SBCC so much better than other churches? And the answer is no, we're not. So why do we have to plant a church there or start a campus there? Well, my question is, who's going to invite your unchurched friend and family to those churches in your neighborhood? Who's inviting them? Are you going to invite them to those churches that you don't even attend? Are you going to be the cheerleader to say, go to this church while I go to that church? Who's inviting them? But what if there was a church in your community that you would attend? What if SBCC, your church, wasn't 35 minutes away, but was only five minutes away, then I'm willing to bet you'd be more likely to tell your neighbors and your friends in your community about your church there in your community. And perhaps they'll come and find and follow Jesus Christ. That would be a win. And so that's a vision we have to see churches and campuses planted in other places. And up to this point, we've got nothing out there. And until God provides us the venues, we wanna be preparing our people. We wanna be prepared as a people. And that happens when all the leaders among you are thinking about who do I pass the baton to so I can reproduce future leaders. 
And that's when all the servants among us are thinking about who can I extend a baton to and invite to, to serve with us. And let's prepare and let's get servants ready when we are committed to reproducing and multiplying leaders and servants. And that's why, I want to share this, this is so important. That's why the well that we just opened up is so important. That is so important. Yeah, sure, it opens up more seats so that more people can come. That's awesome. Opens up about 400 more seats. But more than it being a solution for space, more than it being a space solution, is the missional mindset that it's helping us create, that it's creating for us. And so, so the well, I, I, I pray that you see it as a place where we can prepare people for the greater mission, for the great commission. That, that's not just an overflow space. That's not just a venue, but, but see it as a place, a training ground where we can produce more leaders and more servants, more teachers and more preachers, more hospitality, more coffee makers, more ushers, more greeters, more teams. And whether you serve there or not, maybe you serve in this building, you're filling a need so we can send more people over there. If you go there, we're going to have a need here. And so the more the leaders can have a missional mindset and pass the baton to develop more leaders, and again, more our servants are preparing by passing the baton this way and encouraging new servants, we will be ready for when God provides. And when God provides the right place at the right time in the right neighborhoods, then we will go there and make disciples. So that's the vision. I pray that we would all agree that it's important for us to go to go beyond where we're comfortable. I want to close, and I want to leave you with Jesus. I want to point you to Jesus, and I want to question, does God really love the world? Like, does he really love the world? I mean, if he loves the world, if he so loves the world, then that should mean he loves the people of Torrance, California. And that should mean he loves the people of the SGV. And that should mean he loves the people in Cyprus, and he loves the people in Cerritos, and he loves the people in Palos Verdes, and he loves the people in Playa Vista. But if God so loves the world, and he cares for their soul, and Jesus has come to save the world, then why didn't Jesus come to the people of Torrance? Why didn't he go to the people in the SGV? Why didn't he go to Orange County? If you read the Gospels, Jesus never went beyond Palestine. He never went beyond a 60-mile radius of where he lived. How can you say that God so loved the world if he never left his hometown? I'll tell you. It's because he never intended to. It was never his intention. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't love the people of SoCal. That doesn't mean he doesn't love the people in Southern California. I'll tell you this, Jesus' plan to reach Americans in America and to save the souls in SoCal was to pass the baton to 12 Jews in Jerusalem. That was his plan all along. And these 12 Jews in Jerusalem would then pass the baton to those in Judea and Samaria. 
and those in Judea and Samaria who received the baton would now be faithful to pass the baton on, and it would get passed on and on and on and on until it reached us here in Southern California. That's his plan. And now that we've received what God has given us, what shall we do with what God has given us? What shall we do? with the salvation and the faith he's given us, with the ministry and the, the responsibility he's given us. I pray, church, that we would pass a baton, and that we would reproduce and multiply all that he's given us so that we would, what? Help people find and follow Jesus Christ. That's a win. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's, let's come before the Lord. And I want us to respond. Um, with everything we have with our hearts. And, and Lord, we just ask that, Lord, we would be a church that brings you so much honor and glory, that we would reflect you and your heart for the world and your love for all peoples. We pray that we would be faithful to the task, that we would have a missional mindset and be about this great commission that flows out of your great commandment to love God and love people. So God, help us. Lord, we want to just extend our hands to you, open hands and say, here we are, use us. Help us to pass on, to multiply and reproduce what you've given us so that others would find and follow Jesus. Lord, we thank you. And now we, we just continue to set our eyes on Jesus. Lead us now into communion. We pray this in your name, amen.